Welcome to the Trauma Series. I'm your host, Sydney Pritchard, and I'm so excited to dive in as we begin to unpack real-life stories of trauma, pain, and redemption. Have you or a loved one ever experienced abuse, chronic illness, mental health issues, infertility, divorce, or rejection? We will be covering all of these things and so much more throughout this series. My prayer is that these episodes will bring healing and clarity to some of the darkest moments of your story. And with that being said, grab a pen and paper, grab your workbook, and let's dive into this episode. everyone. Welcome back to the trauma series. I'm so excited to have my friend Kate here with us today. And we're going to really be diving into trauma that comes from relationships. So before we even get started, I want to give a little trigger warning for those of you out there who might have dealt with an abusive situation or have experienced abuse. We will be talking about that today. So um, if that is going to really be a trigger for you, please feel free to move off of this right now, but we are about to dive in and I would love to give it to Kate, over to Kate and see what her story is and give us a little background on really what that experience has been like for you and what you faced throughout your lifetime. Yeah, Sydney, I'm glad you gave the trigger warning, but um, this is going to be a really awesome, powerful conversation, hopefully. Um, I think so. So this is also a story I'll just preface that I never thought I would share publicly until God put it on my heart years ago to start sharing this story. But it was the most uh, scary thing, I would say, when the first time I opened up more publicly about my, my story of relationships and trauma and specifically abuse. So when it comes to relationships, I am a dating coach, but the reason I'm a dating coach is because I have a lot of dating history, right? I mean, you don't get to something without actually having experience in it. And a lot of my story also has to do with trauma in relationships and specifically toxic relationships. So from 14 to 24, pretty much, I dated for 10 years nonstop, just always was dating, always in relationships. And that goes deeper into different wounding I had as a child where I didn't have have, I didn't feel like I had validation or um, that I was really seen in my family life and specifically from male figures. So because of that, as I grew a bit older, I looked for that in men specifically. I did it in a lot of ways. I'm an Enneagram three. Uh, so always trying to perform, have people see me. That's kind of the Enneagram three. Uh, yes. And are you a three too? I sure am. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about the Enneagram. If people don't know, it's really cool. It's cool. that. I love, um, but uh, not only did I try to perform in every way in school and work outside of that, but I also did it in four men. Like when it came to men, that was my Achilles heel. So I started dating and dating and dating and dating, and I was basically never single for a full 10 years. And this whole stint of dating ended with a two and a half year, incredibly abusive relationship. And I hadn't really been with abusive guys per se before that to this level. Um, but I had been in a lot of relationships and this relationship just caught me off guard. And because I would say I was very codependent, I really desired that male attention. Uh, it was really easy for me to fall into the situation in some ways. And so this guy was abusive for two and a half years. At first it started with a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of lying, a lot of, um, discounting my thoughts and feelings. I would see him at 
a bar and literally I would, I give this example, I would go to the bathroom and come back out of the bathroom and he would be talking to other women at the bar and I'd be like, okay, what's my boyfriend doing? You know, and I'd go up to him and then he'd be like, hey Kate, what's up? Give me a high five. And I was like, what? Like, this is my boyfriend. He wanted to make it cool, like seem cool. Like I was just his chill friend. And so when I would bring those things up after the fact, he'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, nothing's wrong. You're acting, you're being dramatic. You're being delusional. Uh, And I was like, you were flirting with those girls, you know, and you were trying to buy them drinks. So first kinds of red flags start popping up, you know, being uh, discounted and consistently being told like, you're making this up or you're just dramatic. And I was told that a lot growing up that I was dramatic. And so that was like a thing for me. Maybe I am dramatic. I started believing that. Uh, so that went on for about a year. I moved away. I wanted to get away from this person and ended up the relationship followed me to a new city. And that in that new city is where it started becoming abusive in more than just emotional ways. I started finding out that he was cheating on me. Um, not only physically, but even just emotionally with lots of different women behind the scenes. Uh, and it went from that to then being physically abusive and sexually abusive. And, um, I would say it actually took me a long time to even admit that the physical abuse started before a really bad evening that we had. That was very obviously physical abuse. I think a lot of times when you're in a physically abusive situation, you don't even want to admit to it. Um, And physical abuse, just to clarify for anyone um, who might be experiencing that, it's abuse that is physical of any kind. I think sometimes we think physical abuse is just being punched in the face or being strangled, but it's not. It's if that person... um, is aggressive with you in any way at all. So there was one night, um, this is a more graphic, but there was one night that he came home and at this time we were living together for like two months and he, I found out that he was, you know, he smelled like whiskey. I asked where he was, found out he was with women and got really upset and he grabbed my neck and pushed it into the pillow and for, I don't know how long, but I couldn't breathe. And I never saw that as physical abuse. Like later I was just like, oh, it was just an act. He was just like upset in the moment, you know? I wasn't until later when there were evenings where he actually did push me and shove me to the ground and he strangled me and just so many different things that I actually categorize it as physical abuse. So um, unfortunately the story goes, just a few more details is that I eventually got a restraining order on him. Um, but the restraining order really for me didn't do anything because I was still in the throes of just the lies and, um, the gaslighting, um, and the discounting. And he was really remorseful for a few days Mm -hmm. until he had me hooked in that I believed that he was sorry. And then he flipped it back. He was like, actually, I never did that. I never strangled you. I never did X, Y, Z. And so when I was served the restraining order, I didn't even know what to think. I was like, did I do, I don't, you know, and I wanted to try to convince him. Like my thing was like, no, no, no. He has to know that he did these things. Like, so that began a series for about five months of us being broken up, but consistently talking and him just gaslighting and discounting me until I got back together with him. Um, because at that point, after five months, uh, I actually convinced myself I had made it all up. And he used this phrase that is my ultimate trigger phrase, which was he would constantly say, you're crazy. And 
just for anybody listening, please don't use that phrase. Uh-huh. It's not good. Yeah. It's not a good phrase. Um, it's really derogatory. And there are people with mental health disorders. So, you know, that's just, it's not kind to say that um, in any way. And so I believed though that I actually made up the abuse. And so we got back together uh, until months later. Um, finally, another crazy, horrific night happened. And I honestly did not think that night that I would be alive. Um, and this is how bad it got, Sydney, as I'm going into these details, is that we were screaming, yelling, had so many different fights for that time of the relationship that my neighbors were so used to us yelling throughout the night that though I was screaming for help and like screaming like, I'm dying, I'm going to die, nobody would call 911. They just, they were like, this is normal, you know? So uh, nobody called 911. And the next day, I remember I had bruises. There were chunks of hair out of my head. Everything was messed up. My clothes had been torn apart. And it was his birthday. And I remember, like, I I can't tell anyone. I remember thinking, like, I there's nobody I can tell because I got myself into this. And um, I... It's my, it's on me, you know? Um, so I remember the next day I was like, okay, I could barely comb my hair, kicked on tons of makeup and threw him a birthday party. And some of my friends at that birthday party probably still have no idea what happened the night before. Um, and I just, I honestly, I, I stayed with him. I felt like I, there was nobody to tell. I felt like I almost deserved the treatment because like, how could you deserve to be in a situation like this, Kate, is what I told myself because how can you be so naive? Um, one thing I will also just backtrack to say is because I thought I was crazy um, and made it all up, in that moment, that night, it was hours upon hours, I remember the only thing I could think to do was needing something to prove that I didn't make it all up, right? So I remember somehow, I don't really know how, I got my phone and somehow I opened it and I was afraid to call 911. I was afraid if I did that, like he, what would he, what he would do to me. So I was like, all I need to do is record this. I need to record it. So I know that I'm not crazy, that I know that I didn't make this up. Like I need the proof just for myself, yeah. you know? And so I recorded it. I recorded it. Um, and even listening back to it, like the, the nuts thing about that is I, of course, sent it to him at some point And he was like, that's you. You provoked me. You know, every excuse. Um, it wasn't until weeks later I found out he was cheating on me again that I actually ended the relationship. So, man, that's just one story. Even since then, there's been other situations that have happened. But um I've really had to, after that situation, go on a journey of rediscovering who is Kate like, who's Kate outside of relationships, outside of needing validation from men. Um, There were times where I just hated myself and I was desperate for God's love, like so desperate for it. Um, So I went on this journey of like removing guys from my life because I knew that that was my Achilles heel. 10 years and who is Kate without dating, you know, or without men. And so I removed them for a season and just dove into that healing, dove into self-awareness, figuring out who I am and who God calls me to be apart from just guys and what they say about me and needing that validation. Um, And so there's more to that story. Obviously, I'm still unmarried. 
and um, still working through things, but um, I lead the ministry on dating now because there's just so much of my heart that wants people to be able to date healthily. And specifically when it comes to toxic relationships, abusive relationships, whatever I can do to make another woman feel like they're not alone, um, to make them feel like they don't have to be ashamed, um, that they can ask for help. I didn't think I could ask for help and that there's a way out and that there's even ways of things to know, to avoid and to look for so that you don't end up in those situations too. So. Kate, I cannot tell you, I mean, I even started tearing up as you were speaking because, you know, this is very sensitive to my background as well. And I know that this is, I can't thank you enough for your vulnerability in sharing that because I know that there are so many women um, who follow me, who are listening right now that relate to this and are really looking for wisdom in this. So thank you so much, first of all, for even sharing that because I know it's, it's not easy. It's like one of the harder things to do. still sweat. Like, I'm like, it's still just, and that's the thing I'm sure we'll talk about, that trauma lives in the body and really, really deep trauma. There's still layers of it that, like, are in your body. It doesn't mean that it's you're, like, unhealed. It's just, it's it has hit you so deeply and profoundly, you yeah. know? For those that are listening that are dealing with this but may not really even know all the terminology, could you kind of speak to gaslighting a little bit and what that is and what that looks like? Yeah, so gaslighting is... You know, I didn't know what that term was, but it's actually, it comes from an old Alfred Hitchcock movie where I believe like the husband wants the wife to, he basically continually turn, he keeps adjusting the lights so that, and keeps telling her like, oh no, the lights didn't go up. She's like, oh, the lights changed. And he's like, no, they didn't. But it, they're just subtly going up, you know, or down. And she's like, it just catches her off guard. So gaslighting is this term. And basically there's another quote out there that if you put a frog, in a pot of water, in a pot of boiling water, it will jump out immediately because like that's really hot water. But if you put a frog in a pot of like normal temperature water, but just slowly turn the temperature up over time, eventually the frog will die, you know? And the point of that is that gaslighting is, is pretty subtle and it catches us off guard. Um, but it's basically anything that w- makes you feel like you are completely questioning yourself and your own discernment um, and your ability to trust yourself. So when, and this happens in relationships, sometimes people do it um, as a defense mechanism. They don't really know that they're doing it. Uh, and other people are pretty like stellar at doing this, like not as their job, but kind of like their job. And obviously those are more toxic people, more narcissistic people, And so gaslighting really makes you question things about yourself and your own ability to make decisions. And it can come off in ways of like, this is examples of when somebody is gaslighting, it would be um, kind of some of the examples I said. So like you're, you're just dramatic, um, constantly deflecting to say and making it about you, something's wrong with you and not being willing to listen and seek to understand. If they're just immediately defensive and put it back on you, it's a deflection and they're not taking any ownership. So you immediately are jarred like, wait, what? What I, you know, and what a therapist of mine once said, she said, it's so jarring in the abuse cycle because let's say you have hard, true facts. Like I'll give an example. I had facts for it. I had gone to a point in my relationship where I had seen his phone and seen texts on his phone with another woman. And so I bring those texts to him. I'm like, hey, 
look at these texts. You sent this girl a shirtless photo. What's going on? And literally, you can have hard fact proof, but they still look at it and they're like, you're making that up. You're being over dramatic. Or they make it about something you've done. So immediately they're like, what about that guy that you talked to at church on Sunday? Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? Like, we're talking about you sending a shirtless pic. How did this get to the guy at church on Sunday? Let's know, like the guy that I briefly talked to in passing, what does that have anything to do? But anything to avoid them taking any sort of ownership. And basically it's like if you were in a court of law and let's say they're the defendant because they are in the wrong and you're the plaintiff, you have all the hard facts and proof. It would be as though the defendant is trying to switch the case on you in the courtroom. But with all the facts on the table, with a judge in the room, that's never going to fly pretty much because you have somebody else there, you have a mediator and all that stuff. But when it's in the context of your personal intimate relationship and done over time without a judge in the room, you start realizing that the, the script does get flipped. And while you should be the plaintiff and they should be on the defense, it switches. So now you're on the defense mm-hmm. and you're trying to defend yourself, even though it started with you bringing up something that they did that hurt you. Now you're suddenly having to defend yourself and you're like, what? And it's so disorienting and it's used as a a tactic for power over you. So eventually when they see they've got you, like they have you super disoriented, like what? I didn't, okay, maybe I did something wrong. You know, then they're like, then they come in with the love and affirmations usually, and they try to be the rescuer. So that's kind of how gaslighting plays out. And, uh, I would just say, if you've ever dealt with that, situation, you have to address it to the person and watch how they respond. If they never own up to it, there's zero humbleness. Uh, that's a problem, first of all. Mm-hmm. But if they do own up to it, then watch their actions through time. Because some people who are professional gaslighters, I'll say, would make it seem like, oh, they've caught on to it. Okay, I'll admit a little bit, but I won't. I'll just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so... Yeah. You feel a little bit justified and you're like, oh, they're trying to change, you know, but then their actions consistently show that they're still gaslighting you and they don't really care. Yeah. I remember, I think one of the easiest ways for me to start recognizing it in my past relationships was when I would go to confront something or bring something to someone and then I'd walk away realizing I just apologized for yes. all these things. And I would walk away being like, why am I apologizing? And they did it. And you're like, what? Uh-huh. Like they didn't even own anything. I did. What happened? <laughs> what would you say was your biggest, what was the most impactful and helpful in your healing process? How did you, after you got out of this relationship, how did you really start to heal? Yeah. So a lot of this is learning how to trust yourself again. Uh, Because especially if you've been gaslit um, consistently, you just don't trust yourself at all. And you start questioning everybody. And I wrote a chapter in my book about betrayal and how betrayal is very, and abuse, but in the betrayal chapter, we talk about trust. And there's three different kinds of trust, or at least I say there are. There are, there's apprehensive trust. So like, I don't trust anybody and I'm gripping the wheel and I'm like that driver on the road that's like, something's going to happen, you know? Uh, Then there is the blind trust. So I just blindly trust everybody. I want to see the good in everybody and just everyone's great. And that's like idealistic and you need to be wiser than that. The third kind of trust is wise trust. Now, I truly believe though that you can't even get to those buckets of trust in a healthy way or the wise trust really because um, apprehensive trust is not that healthy and others blind trust. 
until you first trust yourself. And um, in order to trust yourself, you have to pay attention to do you do the things that you say? Do you make goals for yourself and do you follow through with them? You know, it's little things. How do you talk about yourself to yourself? Um, it, do you abandon your own boundaries? Do you know how to set boundaries? Uh, that's a big one. So do you know how to set boundaries and do you feel good about setting them? And then if they are crossed, will you stand up for yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the more we just allow people to walk all over us and cross our boundaries, for example, the more we break trust with ourselves, you know? Yeah. And so I think a big part of the journey is learning how to trust again, but really learning how to trust yourself first. Yeah. Uh, and another secondary part of that is just, of course, rewriting the narrative oh. that you, excuse me, believe about yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, because obviously there's been lots of lies spoken to you that you now believe. So what are those lies? And how do you slowly through time find the truth through about them? Do you have any recommendations for people as far as where are safe places to go or to confide in others when you are really trying to discover what lies you've been believing and try to have truth and wisdom spoken into you. Yeah. You know, this is a hard thing because either there's kind of two reactions I find when you have a story of vulnerability. Either one, you don't want to share it at all because it feels there's the, almost the shame is too um, too big mm-hmm. and you're like, nobody's going to believe me if I actually tell them what happened. Okay. And, or the other is like, I want to tell everyone and because I want to feel empathy, because I never felt empathy. So I'm gonna to try to tell everybody, as many people as I can, and that can be really damaging. So I've done both, <laughs> and both ways are just, it's, um, it, it's, again, it's kind of a self-betrayal. So what, you, what I would recommend is find and identify a handful of people who you really trust, that really know you, um, maybe start with one person and sure that person could be a therapist, you know, like that's Absolutely. great. Like go get the therapist, right? Um, but start sharing that story with the therapist um, or somebody you really, really trust in your life. Uh, slowly but surely open that up to a few other people. Uh, the, the mistake I made at first was uh, telling a lot of people at in the first year, I started telling a lot of people. And then I felt like I exposed myself way too much to people that really didn't earn my trust enough for, to hold that information sacred. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling like, again, I was betraying myself. I was like, I just told these people I barely knew all these intimate details. And then they were like, wow, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. And then I never would see them again. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, because I hadn't dealt with it first on my own with a private small group of people. So I think one of the biggest struggles that I've seen in myself, I've seen from other people who have dealt with something like this, is that when you experience such intense trauma, it's really easy to be go into the intense sides of the spectrum as far as like trusting people again, you know, going all the way to no trust or all trust, or when you're sharing, you know, not sharing anything and then, or sharing everything. How do you feel like you ended up finding that balance and that really healthy balance in your life and the way that you healed? So what I want to give 
people permission to do when you're entering into relationships with people, whether friendships or eventually intimate relationships is you don't have to share everything all at once, you know? So start pacing yourself. Uh, and I've had to learn this because one of my strength finders things is storytelling. I love to tell the story in full. And if it's not in full to me, it doesn't feel like they're getting the story, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, but that isn't always healthy to tell every detail of the story. And so pace yourself. Like as you're learning people, of course, vulnerability is a part of growing in connection with people. Uh, however, you don't have to tell everything from the first moment you meet someone. And we, I'm sure Sydney can talk through how that happens in dating too. But the biggest thing for me is just open, pace it out and slowly start sharing with people. Um, and you know, yes, I was in an abusive relationship for multiple years and it was really hard and destructive for me in my life. That's one share. Okay. I shared about abuse. Then later I'll give them more details. I'll share a little bit of the emotional abuse. Then later I might share the physical and sexual abuse, you know, but I'm not going to sit and tell every detail of that story on day one of meeting somebody. Absolutely.